Welcome to Perfectly Imperfect, a podcast that explores mental health, especially for folks of color. I'm your host, Johnzel Anderson. I'm a licensed therapist and owner of Panoramic Counseling in Richmond, Virginia. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the second week of June's Mental Health Book Club. We are covering the Climate Book by Greta Thunberg. And so... If you didn't listen to part one, it's not 100% necessary to hear this episode because this book is a series of essays. So it's a bunch of different topics and kind of things that we're learning as we go through. But for the purposes of this week, uh, if you're following along in the book, we covered pages 106 through 199. So if, if you're following along in the book, that's what we'll kind of be discussing today. But to jump in, like we always do, what were some of the initial impressions that people had as they read this week? Like the book, um, I'm feeling a little verklempt. Um I, um, I mean, it's like, could it get any worse? I mean, it can, obviously. But I just, like, I read it and I'm like, oh, God, what have we done? But then they're like, everything is like, however, perhaps, may, you know? And I'm like, well... I, I just, I don't know. I, it's There's so much uncertainty. It's just, it rattles, it rattles my anxiety brain um, big time. Um, and then I find myself getting kind of angry about it, you know? And, you know, when it dives into the whole, you know, the, the poverty and people with less who are obviously contributing less, who are being affected more and the fighting over resources and which I believe in Mexico, there's fighting over um, avocados, perhaps. Um, so anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a lot of emotions when I read this, a lot of not good ones. I'll piggyback on that and just say that uh, this section was something I kind of knew a lot about just because of my background with biology, specifically infectious diseases. And uh, it's been scary before, but when they kind of looped COVID in, it uh, made it a little more real. I think the essays in this section of the book were more relatable to me than the first section. I think only because they started talking about like antibiotics not working to get rid of bacteria, privacy impacting things, stuff that people don't necessarily always think about related to climate change. So it's good to bring those issues up. The feeling of I wouldn't say it's hopelessness, but a, a sense of like despair and helplessness, I think is a little bit better fitting. But obviously we're going into, as we read this, we're getting deep into kind of a very concentrated, like, you know, tunnel of information, right? And I, I mentioned this in the the first episode, but for me, climate change, it, it was always something that was on my mind. But when I became a parent, it made me start to think of, well, what will, you know, I'm only having one child, but what will her, say, retirement years look like? Because um, that's, you know, I if I, I can think of my own lifetime, but I think of, if, if I think of my own child, and I'm like, what is her lifespan? What is, how is this going to impact, like, you know, and like y'all said, like the fighting for resources and with warmer temperatures, as we read multiple essays this this week, like with warmer temperatures, the bacteria and disease 
thrives in warmer temperatures, right? And antibiotic resistance and, you know, there's all of these different things that um, kind of ripple from climate change. And, but at the same time, I, in order to practice self-care with uh, reading this, this information, I had to, of course, take steps away from the book and, you know, kind of do some grounding and like remind myself of, you know, the here and now, the today, the the spheres of influence that I have. And of course, we make little decisions that kind of can contribute to the the greater good and things like that. So um, yeah, I there, there's definitely a lot to cover here. One of the things on page 122 that kind of stood out to me was, I want to say it was a one of the essays by Greta, just talking about how children are kind of our hope for the future. So um, the quote was the the obvious place to start is with our children, encouraging environmental awareness from an early age. And so I jotted that down mainly because a, a lot of our ideas of what we can do about climate change are uh, more so reactive. Like how do we stop the worst effects of what might be coming down down the road? Um, but also if you think about it, and there was another metaphor used in this section, it was something like if the bathtub is overflowing, I might've read a little bit ahead too, but I think if the, if the bathtub is overflowing, you don't grab buckets to start scooping the stuff that's overflowing. You turn the faucet off first, right? And so kind of like stop the source of the issue and then deal with the overflow after that. And so thinking of, of course, climate change, we need to stop doing the things that are hurting the earth, of course, turn took the faucet off, right? But also, if you think about like, okay, who's going to be here to make the most impact, of course, teaching children from early on, like to care about the planet and things like that is um, going to have a lot of impact too. So just something about the hope in children being the future. Um, I, I try to I'm going to try to balance a little bit of hope in with this, but it's it's a heavy topic. So what are y'all's thoughts uh, going from there? Well, they he, they also um, kind of brought up, you know, how you need to start being an advocate um, locally or, you know, like in a small group or whatever, but kind of build capacity so that you can make a larger impact politically. Um, but they brought up the pipeline that our author that we just met with um, the Dakota pipeline, how that has um, kind of failed because of all of the um, the people protesting it. I don't know if it's failed, but it's um, I, I don't know. Anyway, what you know, their protests worked essentially um, was kind of the the gist of it, and it just made me think of you know Prince Shakur because he was protesting and how ecologically aware he is. Um, and I don't know, it kind of brought me back to yet another. Our books are just inter intertwined, you know, that was, um, yeah. So start locally or start small, but then build a scale. I think that the start small is a great thing to think about with regard to activism, but also with regard to our own lives. Um, something that I have always really wrestled with. So I'm Irish American. I moved to the US when I was six. I think I've told some of you all in the book club that before. But I think so many of our problems, American problems, but also Western world problems, 
are that we live in a state of binary. Um, we are very zero sum. We're very zero sum when it comes to politics, when it comes to ideologies. Um, there's just this extremity. And so, for example, I um, I don't eat uh, beef or pork. I haven't for years. And I have some friends that are full vegan. Um, some of my decision was ethics. Some of it was environmental. Um, but I have a lot of people that will tell me, oh, I could never not have a steak again. I could never do that. We don't have to do that. You would have a massive impact annually if you just ate meat one day less a week. You can't do a full day. Could you do a few less meals? Like we get into this intense idea of I can't do that. So we don't take any bus. Um, and so that was something that I was really reflecting on. Um, even, even with the chapters that we were reading last week, if we could all just do little, if we could all just start small, if we could all just do one thing, it doesn't have to be so doom or gloom. And I think that's something that kids get a little bit better than we get. Um, aside from their natural wonder and curiosity about the outdoor world, uh, the most fun time I've ever had in my life was when I was teaching pre-K. It was blast. I wish that uh, financially I could have supported myself forever doing that. Um, but kids get it. They'll they'll make the try. And if it doesn't work out, that's okay. Um, so for example, the little kids that I take care of, we went to the park um, last week and I was looking around for a recycling bin when we were finished. And I was kind of irritated because I couldn't find one. And Will told me, you know what? We made the try. And so that was something that I was reflecting on in this chapter as well, that that openness and that hopefulness and that idea to be met in the middle and that we're still human, we're still going to have this impact. It all really does tie into children too. So for me, I try to reduce. I know that I'll never be perfect, um, but that's also like an ideology instead of the zero sum that I really try to try to push with kids as well. And I think too, like you said, it's, it's a journey. You know, we, we were, we've been raised in a consumer um, culture and, you know, to, to think that the more you have, the more, I don't know, more status that you have. Um, and so I completely agree. It is definitely a journey and it's a mindset change. Um, and you know, we, we've tried meatless Mondays or meatless, whatever, just one day a week, just, but I started doing that because it was a lot cheaper when groceries started to go through the roof. You know, I was like, let's, you know, let, let's use pulses or, you know, some kind of other, you know, like lentils or, you know, let, let's try to focus on my other kind of protein, just one, one day a week. Um, and that has been palatable for my teens. So it's a journey. I will say I like the way Brianna handled that as saying we'll start one day a week or half a day or something. A lot of the times when we hear this argument for vegans and people of that nature, they want you to just go cold turkey. And that's not realistic for most people, especially the people that have to figure out how to ensure their kids are still getting protein and all that good stuff that they need to grow. So it's not something you can just do overnight, but most people would be willing to do a day at a time to help cut back. I'm going to hop in with some of the information that I learned that kind of stood out at me, we all kind of started to talk about like antibiotic resistance and diseases and that and the pandemic and things. So 
this is kind of a, a mixture of notes, but they kind of relate. So on page 142, I have basically, I paraphrase, as temperatures rise, so will diseases. And so the quote was, in the United States alone, reducing emissions globally to meet the Paris Agreement could prevent about 4.5 million premature deaths. And that's, you know, of course, talking about like um, the different health impacts and how, you know, extreme heat, it's kind of like... In, encompassing a lot of different things in that figure. But then as we got more into the reading, it was like, well, millions are going to be displaced by floods, droughts, extreme heat. And of course, many will die because in order to flee, you know, those sorts of situations and things like that, you have to have the means, which then it kind of got in the weeds too, because it's like, well, there are certain societies that will be able to handle these shifts in extreme weather and things like that. Like if it's extreme heat, some places have air conditioning and electrical grids, others do not, right? So it's it's very much uh, those who are privileged are going to fare better than those who are le in less developed areas. And then, like I said, the thing about that, that tub metaphor, we've got to turn off the faucet. We have to expand beyond our own, where we're at here in the United States, but also to think about there are already parts of the world that are experiencing like extreme drought. And it's alarming because it was talking about over one generation, like when the mother of the one person was younger, like the water situation was very different. And like over a 70 something year span, it's like so drastically different and like dry. And just those those examples of how quickly things are accelerating because it's no secret that we're like blasting past these like carbon budgets and things that are being discussed in these charts and things like that. But kind of like uh, Brianna said, like, you know, starting small, but like doing what we can to as much as we can to get that faucet turned off or at least slowed down. I like that metaphor a lot, but I was interested in y'all's take on that. So Greta is serenading me with this, this section because this is uh, my love language and part of what I teach um, in health disparities. So it is a global phenomenon, right? We can talk about extreme weather events. We can talk about um, drought. We can talk about nations close to the equator and we can talk about nations near the poles. However, urban heat islands are a very American thing. You know, that's something that I'm looking at with Roanoke city zip codes. Um, and as temperatures get hotter year after year, you have the double whammy of formerly redlined areas not having tree shade built into their urban plan, not having the uh, wealth and financial means to make air conditioning part of their plan. And so I'm currently looking at maps that are 13 degrees apart within the same city on different days. That's insane. That's that's crazy. That's the same municipality, different zip codes, but still it's the same. And then um, I like to layer when when people tell me that like these things aren't real, that, you know, redlining, what does it matter? It was 100 years ago or discrimination. How could that still be affecting us today? I overlay those red line maps with heat line maps. And then I do one more overlay of life expectancy. And 
the density of those maps, like it's, it's matching up. It's, it's almost a direct overlay and people are astounded. Um, and that 13 year temperature range, there is also a 13 year gap in life expectancy. And the life expectancy lines up with those cooler zips. Now, I don't think it's just temperature. You know, I don't think it's just that, but all of these things factor in. And so what's really frustrating and upsetting about that is that there is a degree to which we must, must be conscious and we must be responsible for ourselves, but also we can get away with it. So I trash my environment and I buy my way out of it, but someone else suffers. And that is inequity in it. it's, its purest and most evil form, right? I will not bear the consequences of my actions, even though I consume more power, even though I may eat more meat, even though, you know, it, X, Y, Z, you see what I'm saying? But these other communities will bear that consequence. It will be others who suffer for me. And that, that is upsetting. Um, and that to me makes it more motivational to make small changes. I try not to beat myself up because some of it is the way of the world. And if I get too pulled down, then I can't make a change. Um, but that is really just astounding. And to look at it on maps, like it, it, it makes my stomach turn sometimes. And so I think that the global phenomenon is very, very real. And I look at, you know, the chlorofluorocarbons and things of that nature. And how does that equate to, you know, our consumption of uh, fossil fuels and those emissions here? How can we look at that year after year? And it's all real and it's all true. And I think it's valid. I think it's valid to look at it on a global scale. But something about knowing that somebody three blocks away from me is suffering just makes that all the more real. I can't detach myself from that. I can't detach myself from that at all. I mean, I saw it here. I It wasn't that long ago. I was driving maybe six miles away from my house. Um, my daughter was taking um, like online class or something. And it was seven degrees hotter between my house and this other school. And it's, <laughs> it, it just blew my mind. But that school in particular is surrounded by nothing but blacktop. There's like hardly any, and there's shopping centers all around it which are surrounded by a lot of apartment housing and there's just not a lot of shade. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that's here as well. Um, I mean, everywhere, but yeah, how they talked about, um, <clears throat> Oh God, what was it? Um, just the illnesses in general about, um, you know, the asthma, like I think Brianna, she put asthma in there as well. Um, you know, at, and in the fracking that messes up the water and they only do that in places that seems to be a poverty where people um, don't have the means to fight the system. Um, and they, you know, th there's another one where there was runoff from some sort of a farm, but that was a, and uh, it was causing a lot of birth defects and, and deaths and cancer. Um, yeah, they, they just seem to have no problem messing up the environment or doing things that affect other people as long as it doesn't impact them. And I think the bare bones of the book is it is impacting you and, you know, you just may not realize it yet or it's going to very soon. 
you know, you just, <laughs> you just go north for the winter, like a bird. Not, not everybody has that chance. I think it's the modern day shopping cart analogy. Um, and I've always, always felt a bit funny about that analogy because I do think that there are sometimes good reasons why people don't put their cart back. I've had, you know, two screaming under three children and I did not always put my cart back, but the idea of the, the common courtesy element, um, if you don't care at all, I understand we'll all have different degrees. The idea that this is a spectrum, but if you're one of those people who says, well, it doesn't matter to me, the fact that it doesn't matter to you says a lot about you. There was a, a thing that I highlighted on page 159, basically eco-classism and eco-racism. I'll just read the quote. We need to think about global injustice now. The manifest injustice whereby polluters, largely, largely rich people around the world who are most responsible for carbon emissions and environmental harm are hurting poor people. The communities impacted by environmental degradation and climate change are overwhelmingly poor people of color, even in rich countries such as the United States. We all saw the tragedy that befell the Black community in New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. And this disparity and consequences is a global phenomenon. Bangladesh, my home, which is the, the person writing the essay, uh, Bangladesh, my home, is facing a slow-moving disaster as sea level rise threatens the coast, which may lead to the displacement of millions of people, end quote. So it's kind of that reality of some people can get away from the consequences of this and some people can't. I like that illustration of the shopping cart. I, I love how this really expands it to a, a holistic global view of the causes of climate change. And it's not just, oh, it's getting hotter, the storms are getting worse. It's so much, it, it di really dials it into the specific communities um, around the world that are impacted, who they are, what they're suffering with, and why. Um, so I am excited to, I think in the next part, get into what we can do um, you know, um, to, to start to have a plan, but I will say my daughter did take a class, um, called AP environmental science, and it had to do a lot with this stuff. And she would come home and talk about how roads, you know, affect water because of the way that it can't go into the ground and the plants can't have it. So it causes water deficits in areas where it, it shouldn't. But every day she would tell me something, I would feel my panic disorder just flare up, you know, get a little eye twitch or something. But th this whole book is that. Um, and so it is, it's, I, I just, it's, it's hard to read, but it's good to read. And it's very, very eye-opening. Yeah, I'll just add that, like, I think that everything we've been talking about is kind of like, how do you convince people to care about other people? But I think that the pandemic shows a little bit, hopefully, that, like, if you don't care about other people, it can end up impacting you because we're a global community, right? Definitely. And page 132, uh, she talks about sustainability. Quote, uh, the world has a fever and a fever is usually a symptom of something else like an infection, a disease, or a virus. The climate crisis is also a symptom or a result, if you prefer, of a much deeper sustainability crisis. In other words, it is not the increasing average temperature 
that is the root cause of the problem. Rather, it is the fact that we are living way above our means, exploiting people and the planet. Or more accurately, a small number of us are doing this. Absurd inequalities divide the world. The richest 10% cause 50% of our CO2 emissions. The wealthiest 1% are responsible for more than twice as many emissions as the entire poorer half of the world, according to a 2020 report from Oxfam and the Stockholm Environmental or Environment Institute, end quote. We could, of course, you know, especially as this like sinks into the anxieties and the fear and the sense of like helplessness about it is that, well, this is all the more motivation to be mindful of the sphere of influence that we have on a day-to-day basis. The What we consume and what we use and how we live is having a ripple effect. Like, uh, Becky, you said the thing about the roads. Like, if we build roads, it, it messes up the ability of the ground to absorb water and stuff like that. Well, think of, like, our high-consumption country doing that to the rest of the world, and that's basically what Greta just said. It's not to just talk about doom and gloom, but it's like, no, these are these can be broken down into like numbers and charts and like um, real impacts on real humans. And I talk about this. I think I've talked about this a lot throughout this mental health book club over the months, but like we're all common in our humanity, right? Like my value as a human is no more or less than a person living in one of these drought areas that, you know, they don't have an uh, electric grid and things like that. Like that, uh, a human there is just as valuable as I am. Yet we live in a position where we have, there's a huge power differential, even though our value is equal power between different humans, um, usually by no choice of our own is very different. So we have to, I think part of the solution is going to be, okay, well, we have this power, we have this privilege. What can we do to make the most impact with it? What are y'all's thoughts on that? I mean, I completely agree. It It's just so daunting to think of how do you convince people who are very um, materialistic that they don't need that? And I say that as I'm sitting in my own house, you know, like with my cars out front and, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's very, it's very intimidating to me. I don't really even know where to begin. I, I suppose just the whole grass, grassroots efforts and things that they talk about. Um, but I don't feel like I'm walking the walk by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, maybe my one meatless meal a week will do something. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah. One of the essays I really like was the uh, one on environmental racism on page 162. It talked about how people were stolen from their home countries and brought here to like farm and take care of the land. And they actually cared about the land, but the people that were making a profit off the land did not. So that started creating a big disconnect and a big problem. And we still see the effects of that to this day, because even in this country, we'll have politicians in place that are saying these Black communities are just lazy. They need to pull themselves up by their bootstrap. But you strip them of all of their natural resources to be able to do something because it made you money. And now you're looking down on them because you feel like you're better and you're smarter. And we keep seeing this happening over and over 
America will go to other countries and do kind of the same thing, like take all their resources and then say, oh, you need to do better. But until we're able to hold the people accountable that start causing these issues, we're going to keep seeing it. Well, and that was almost like the beginning of our consumer culture, although it was, I guess, brought on to us with um, the colonization with Europe. Um, they, we were consuming human beings, you know, both indigenous and um, African Americans. I mean, we, we consume them because nobody thought of them as human beings until way too recently. And, um, so yeah, I mean that 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 is that's consumer culture, you know, and it's absolutely disgusting, obviously, because it's people, you know, the humanity of it all. Yeah, and they brought people over who cared about it. <sighs> it's just and they get into and by they I mean the collective, like the essays that we've been reading for this section, they get into like the industrial revolution and how basically in Europe when they learn that you can burn fossil fuels to drive production, it kind of was off to the races, so to speak. And there's many an essay in here about fossil fuels and how that kind of drives our world and stuff like that. Clear facts about how like fossil fuels are going to run out. Like they're we don't have a bunch of dinosaurs that can decay and, you know, uh create these things. So once it's gone, but also it's getting more and more dangerous to get the, the fossil fuels because we've gotten rid of the stuff that's easy to access, you know, but what really, and again, this is a daunting kind of thing to jump into, but we have the emissions, the the things that like the energy where we get our energy from to be a developed, you know, society and stuff like that. But then when we get into the conversations about, okay, well, what do we do about the grid? What do we do about our renewables and all of this stuff? there's a lot of lying and basically creative accounting when it comes to what we're actually reporting. So um, Greta, she's not afraid to just go up against whoever, but she's talking about her own country, which is Sweden, uh, page 156. So quote, the second example is the country in which I live, Sweden, which keeps proudly reminding its citizens that we have lowered our emissions by around 30% since 1990. But again, once you include emissions from international aviation and shipping, as well as the biogenic emissions that were lost in the loopholes of the Kyoto Protocol, our emissions have not decreased at all. On the contrary, once you add up all available data from this time period, they have actually increased. So what we are actually being told to celebrate over and over again is outsourcing excluding emissions, clever accounting, and the negotiation of global frameworks that make it all perfectly legit. Or, more to the point, we are being told to celebrate the fact that we are cheating, end quote. It's hard to even, like, comment on this without feeling a sense of, like, helplessness. So I'm going to preface what I'm about to say with that. Um, but I think of, I wrote, I wrote an essay recently about, because I have an electric car, right? Um, and, of course, after I 
buy this thing and I start to, you know, people comment, they're like, oh, well, you know, the emissions that, because the second you think that you've done something, it's like, oh, well, when I'm driving around, I'm not emitting, you know, I'm not burning fossil fuels to get around, right? And then people would be like, oh, well, you know, the, the cobalt that's used to make that battery is this and that. So, of course, I read an entire book on the cobalt mining in um, uh, Democratic Republic of the Congo, right? And it's slavery. It is um, very, very bad. Um, no protective equipment. People just cancers and dying. Like, it's just really, really, really bad. And it's like uh, child labor and um, exploitation of a natural resource, right? But that all of that happens out of sight, out of mind. And then in the United States, we get to feel good about driving a clean vehicle, right? Um, so we, you think of, okay, well, I'm going to do something that can change something, but then a lot, we have to think of the trickle down effect. Well, is this really changing something? And it's not to say, don't get an EV if you're in the market for a car, but it's like, we have to think about how do we go about doing these things? Is it just for the status? Is it for the, to be able to say something or is it because we're actually, we mean it and it's all the way to. Uh, the people that are impacted the most, are we doing the right thing? And those things are very, it feels very daunting because we don't have a ton of control because most of us don't know. Like, I didn't know about this until I had already purchased a car, right? Um, whatever damage was done was done before I decided to go to that dealership and buy that car. But I learned about it after the fact and it's like, oh, wow. And then you think about it too. Well, rechargeable batteries our in our phones, our tablets, our computers, our headphones, our elect, you know, rechargeable toothbrushes, like all these different things. And it's like, holy shit, like I thought I thought that these were technological advances. I thought these were good things, but until it's brought to your attention, until you're brought aware of it, you can't make a change. You can't, but but also the marketing is so strong, right? So it's I I knew I was jumping into a rabbit hole of kind of despair there, but we stopped apologizing for that in episode one because it was like, this is something very difficult to get into. But each time you think you're doing something, another pro- another two or three tabs opens up. But that doesn't mean that we should stop having the conversation and stop trying to figure it out because it's very easy to just throw your hands up and be like, oh, well, you know, oh, well, kind of thing. But the oh, well is going to result in, like the statistics said earlier, millions of people dying. Um, if nothing is done about it. So uh, does anybody have any like similar experiences or like thoughts that they've had where it's like, well, we could do this one thing, but here's the ripple effect and how we run into more problems. I'm sure I'm not the only one who's experienced that. I I think the thing I, the thing that I think about with electric cars too, I drive a smart car, um, but is also the, uh, to bring that car to full charge you still get the electricity from a grid. And what does it look like to power that grid? But I appreciate this little excerpt because I appreciate uh, her forthrightness. I actually had a Swedish student um, that I was teaching this semester. And I definitely am one of the first to call out my home country on things. Like I I teach disparities um, and I'm very cognizant of that. But I. I just, even hearing you read that now, it's such an echo of the things I was saying, because this student was really horrified 
um, as we are, as we're discussing now about some different aspects of American consumerism and consumption, uh, topics that particularly upset her were environmental science as well as nutrition. Uh, she was very interested in the FDA, but she was so proud that they don't have, we watched in two class periods, The Last Mountain, which is about mountaintop removal, and then uh, a segment on fracking and, you know, all the environmental injustices that come out of that, especially to those communities. Um, And she was just so proud that they didn't have any of that in Sweden. And I said, no, you're just, you just buy it. You don't do it, but you just buy it. And I said, but, you know, like, let's be clear about one thing. Your hands aren't clean. Your hands are dirty. And I wasn't trying to be harsh or nasty with her, but out of sight, out of mind perpetuates our worst problems as a society. Sometimes you just have to make that choice. I don't know that it's wrong to buy an electric vehicle, even knowing what I know about cobalt batteries, because that is terrible and that is atrocious. But it's the idea of like when you go and you pull up consumer chains, those webs, you can't boycott it all. So what do you choose? So I just think having the knowledge and making the best choices that you can and trying to start small is is so important so that we don't get derailed, so that we don't just puddle in our despair and not make change. Um, but that is something I see. That is something I see even being Irish and going home. People love to point their fingers at the big bad U.S. And yeah, the U.S. does cause all those problems. I won't, I won't deny it. It's true. But global hands are not clean. Hey, y'all. I'm interrupting this episode to let you know how you can support my podcast, writing, and other creative projects. Head over to the show notes of this episode where you can consider buying me a coffee once or monthly, gift me a book from my wish list, or just leave a nice review to help others find this podcast. I know your time and money is valuable, so thank you in advance for your support. And now, let's get back to the show. So after last week, I think we were talking about like recycling and using single-use bottles. So I went and I researched um, what people are doing. So now they make reusable water bottles that are supposed to clean themselves and clean the water that go into them. So basically you have to charge it up. So it's that, but then it's supposed to last through maybe like two weeks. You push a button and it's supposed to use UV light to clean the bottle in the water. But then I'm like, but is this going to make us sick in five years? Are you going to see one of those commercials that say, hey, if you bought this crazy cat water bottle, uh, you may be eligible for compensation. So it's kind of like, even if we think we're finding solutions, it's like, what is the long-term impact of our temporary solution to try to help? I feel like, though, that's such a consumerist way to, quote, make a buck. Like, like they're just taking a fear that you have and, and, and a known entity, you know, we produce and use too much plastic and throw it away. So let's just charge, have this rechargeable battery in a bottle and... <laughs> with a light and because I guess we're, we're too damn lazy to even wash a reusable bottle. Like, I mean, if I told you the last time I washed this, we'd be horrified, but I'm okay. I'm not dying. So we talked about like 
the reduce, reuse, and recycle. And I think the understanding that we all are we're coming to is that the recycle part has severe limitations because, you know, there's only so many types of plastics or papers or things like that that can be recycled. So, but we sometimes forget about the reduce and reuse part of that little triangle that we used to see in school. So it's like, well, reduce and reuse. If we have a reusable water bottle, we can reuse it. It's more so we have to get out of our habits of not being inconvenienced. And that's going to be our consistent sign off to these episodes because I asked it last week and we'll, we'll get to it this time because I, I like that of what are we going to do to be inconvenienced to help the climate. But um, for me, I I was mentioning how I normally keep a, like a case of bottled water in my trunk for when I um, go to the gym and I was telling the person that I go to the gym with, I was like, okay, when this case runs out, we're going to start bringing a reusable bottle. Um, And so I got my little $5 reusable bottle uh, from Five Below. And um, with that in mind, what Nita had said is like, well, how sanitary is this when people don't wash it and stuff like that? So it's like, well, I used it for the first time today or yesterday. And so far I've washed it each day uh, that I've, used it right i also kept it inside of a bag while i was at the gym uh so that it's not being set on the ground but the point is it's like i'm going to be inconvenienced and wash that thing every day so that i don't have to continue to consume these you know this bottled water and then put it into my recycling bin that may or may not end up in a pile that doesn't get recycled and that's a way to reduce and reuse right um, since I don't have that much control over the actual recycle part, I can reduce and reuse. But also, I mean, can we talk about how the book is consumerism in and of itself? Like it was shipped to a, you know, I mean, the whole thing is is another example of consumerism. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's how much did it cost? I, I mean, $30? Like this is not a cheap book. So... Greta. <laughs> I'm sure the- Greta's response would be that it's available in Kindle and Audible versions. But uh, also, uh, I, I, I don't see anything on here that says that it was made with uh, other Recycled than... Recycled paper? In, inside the book jacket, it does say, this jacket was printed with FSC certified paper without plastic lamination. That's about all we get. Um, it doesn't say that the page was printed on recycled paper or anything like that. It's also a very thick book. Um, I will say that they pushed the margins very far out so that they could cram as much onto the page as possible. But my, and I, I mentioned this in the last episode, but the thing or the way that I reason it in my mind is it's a lot easier to share this information with somebody if I have a physical copy of the book. Um, and I do share my books with people. So it's if, if it means that I'm more likely to share the information here that could have an impact with somebody because I have the physical copy, then that to me makes more sense because I'm not handing my iPad to somebody so that they can read the Kindle version. They're not um, getting my rechargeable battery. And, you, <laughs> and you're not getting my Amazon login information to log on to my Audible. So I I think that you know, it, it, yeah, I'm gonna leave that one there. I'm gonna leave that one I there. Think, but I think it's a lot of paper. I think that's part of the 
that idea though of what's the threshold of our footprint. I will have a footprint. I am living. What can I do that makes my footprint worthwhile? What can I do that makes my footprint one that bettered the earth, despite the fact that I've made a footprint? You know, how do I leave it a little better than I found it? But living is inherently going to be consumption, right? Like I am taking those resources. I am taking those animals. I am taking that fuel. I got to do that just to get day in, day out. But I think the threshold between betterment and gluttony, you know, that that's a spectrum. I like my book. <laughs> I've been keeping it in my office. I think I might donate mine to our environmental teacher. You know, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not, it is. And it, that, that is more accessible on a book than in, in other formats, assuming, you know, you can read and it's not going to get blown over by your, you know, your meager means that you're living in. I mean, I don't know if you guys have been to other, you have been to other countries and seen how real people, most people live. It's not with roofs, like real roofs, you know, or even beds. Um, it's really interesting. A lot of times I'll read at uh, work during downtime between shows. The number of people that have come to ask me about this book when they see it, they're just like, is she just telling everybody they're shitty people or is she actually telling us how we can fix things? And I'm like, uh, no, both. Um, but it's going to take a lot more than what we currently have going on to fix things for the next generations. That's the problem. But that in and of itself made it like worth the fact that you have a physical like copy. Cause if you were reading it on your phone on Kindle, you would just think you're scrolling TikTok or something. Right. Um, so you sparked a conversation. They may go get this book and get the information. And then what, I mean, half the battle is knowing what's wrong, you know, like the, the tub metaphor, like knowing that the tub is overflowing. And a lot of people are just constantly in a state of go to work, pay bills, survive, repeat, and to break it up and be like, okay, yeah, we got to go to work. We have to survive. We got to pay bills and we got to repeat. However, can we do it a little bit differently so that there's a world to go to work to pay bills and repeat for a couple of generations down the road. And so, yeah, I, I like that because it's like, well, people are seeing this book and they're curious about it, but it also opens up the conversation of people are don't tend to be like, oh yeah, sign me up. I want to get into that thing that's going to make me feel bad and that's going to make me feel uncomfortable because it's human nature to self-preservation right like the path of least resistance like that's that's how we're wired we're supposed to survive so if it's something that can inconvenience us we're gonna usually flee it unless something kind of slows us down and makes us look at it what i, I always tell people and I'm a therapist, but I tell people it's like my three rules for like interpersonal conflict. And so rules number one and two go together. And then if you follow the first two rules, three is a given. So rule number one, speak your truth. Rule number two, without being an asshole. And 
if you followed steps one and two, number three is you're not responsible for how someone responds to that truth. So I think Greta follows those rules with this book. It's, uh, but she spoke the truth. She's giving scientific facts. She's used her influence and popularity to bring all of this information together in one place. Though she's going to have way more of an impact than she probably knows or realizes, but she can't be responsible for if someone reads this and gets upset and reads five pages and throws the book in the trash or reads a chapter or two and does nothing about it or reads the whole book and has multiple panic attacks. Like it's not, that's not her responsibility to worry about how the world will receive this information. She, her job was to speak the truth in a way that's digestible to other people. And whatever ripple effect it has is going to be what it is. But my hope is that people realize that the tub is overflowing and we all like band together to get the damn faucet turned off. That's what I hope. And I think that is the way that I climb myself out of this, these slips into despair I have as I go through this book. I also live with a whole full-blown anxiety disorder. So that's part of it. But also, I think even if I didn't have an anxiety disorder, this would be pretty daunting because it's it's not something simple as like, who am I going to vote for? It's like, no, will my child and future generations be able to fucking survive, you know? It's it's literally life and death. So I found myself too, as I'm reading this, going through it's my anxiety waves where I get fear and then I get frustration and anger. And then I'm like, well, it's okay. Like I talk myself down and I keep cycling through those emotions as I'm reading this. Um because it's so much bigger. It eclipses any one and you know, just all of us, but at the same time we can try to do our part. But in the first part of the book, they talked about how climate change, um, the way I forget, I don't know if it's El Nino or La Nina, but something is making the Northern hemisphere drier and having hot spikes. And as I was reading it, that's when Canada is burning. And that's when we were getting all the smoke that came down, um, came down to us. Um, you know, I don't know if everybody here is from, you know, our area, but it, I mean, you could smell smoke outside and I don't know how many hundreds of miles we are from the, the, I mean, it's in another country and we're in the middle of the country. So I don't know. It's, that just drove it all home even more. Um, and one of our people that was, uh, she's not here this week, but she lives in New York. Um, and she had mentioned before the recording of the last episode, like the air quality was complete trash, right? Like, and we've, of course, a week later, we've seen the videos from like New York City where it was like yellow and people couldn't see right out of their window, you know? And uh, most of us in this book club today, I think everybody here lives in the state of Virginia. So we're obviously a lot further down from, say, New York and Canada and things like that. But we had, air quality advisories for a couple of days last week. I remember one day in particular, I wasn't thinking about it, but I was outside for maybe only a couple of minutes. I don't have asthma. I don't have any like pre-existing condition other than seasonal allergies, but my throat was burning after only being outside for 
a little bit. And I mentioned I have this, you know, EV. Funny enough, it's made in Greta's Thun, uh, Greta Thunberg's country of Sweden. Um, so it has all these fancy like little uh, computers and filters and shit inside. So it actually on the screen in the car, it'll it goes through like 10 different air pollutants, whether it be grass pollen, um, different uh, like CO2 and different things that are in the air. And it'll tell you with a green, yellow or red and orange, like different indicators of like how bad things are. I didn't know how to even get to this in the car. And so we had these bad things. And I was like, wait, there's something in here that the dealership was telling me about. And so I like go in and I'm sitting here just in my car terrified because I'm like, holy shit, all this goddamn stuff is like in orange and red. And it's, but I'm like really far away from what's going on. So um, it was just like eye opening to, again, like Brianna had shared, you know, she, layers maps and sees like different information from different areas and stuff like that. And it's like, well, goddamn, I'm here in Richmond, Virginia, and I'm seeing like not so great air quality on this particular day. Like it's clear if you've seen any of the videos on the internet, how bad it was in like New York and I'm sure Canada and things like that, like from these wildfires. And then we know, okay, this is a result of climate change. Right. And not only that, but the I think we slip right back on into despair, which we have to tessellate. I think that's just humanity. But we see these things and we're like, oh, yeah, the air quality was really bad. We're going to forget about it. And I say we as in like a collective, like people are going to go on and, you know, move on to what the next thing is. Like everyone's, I don't know if they've had it yet, but they're talking about like, oh, the Apple reveal of whatever new shit is going to come out from Apple this year. and. Every, you know, whatever the next, the dumbass, like $3,000 goggles or whatever, like, um, you know, the, we're just going to move on to our next uh, shiny object and we're not going to think about it until the next bad thing happens. They're like, oh, this is terrible. It's just like a day of news. And then we move on where it's like a goldfish syndrome. Like by the time we get around the bowl, the next time we just forget. And I don't think we forget. I think it's like chosen ignorance and we we ignore things because we have the privilege to do so. Like even in me sharing about like I have this like fancy, you know, Volvo that has this like special filtration system in it as I'm sitting at the EV charging station, right? Looking at this computer in the middle of the, so I'm like charging my electric car and I'm looking at, ooh, this screen tells me that the air quality is bad outside, but inside the car, it's perfect because it's using special filters, right? But I'm like doing this, but then, you know, outside of it and outside of the, into the world, there's all this other stuff going on. And it's like, we move on with our lives and we don't, we're inconvenienced for a minute and then we forget about it and we continue consuming and stuff like that. So it's definitely, I don't know, it's a mind fuck. And I, we've, we've said mind fuck many books that we've read in this mental health book club, but this one is the mind fuck that keeps on fucking. Um, I think this might be the mind fuck of all mind fucks. Like this whole, it is like a circular. I, that's, I think the problem is I, I listen and I keep coming back and, and I'm like, oh, I was in elementary school then. Why didn't these fuckers do anything about it? You know, you know, why didn't anybody do anything about it? Um, and, you know, I guess it's lobbyists and people who, you know, want to control government interests for the corporate buck. 
And um, yeah, it's it's very frustrating. It it is it is like it's like a spiral of mind fucks. I'm going to throw in some things that I didn't get to last time, and it's just going to be real quick. So, in addition to knowing like the impacts on humans and stuff like that, we learned about permafrost when we were in school. Like, it's like it's called permafrost. Like, you don't have to know much about it to know, like, hey, that shit's supposed to stay frozen, right? And it's like permafrost is no longer permanent. Um, and when it there's a picture in the book where there's this giant sinkhole. I want to say it was in Russia somewhere. Um, where basically it's it's thawing, and so it's creating these craters. But also in the permafrost, you have all of this like matter that is bunch of CO two in there. So when that melts down, it goes into the you know. So that's a problem. Um, and then also um, something I didn't get to last week was like the coral reefs. There was a 2020 study that found that the cover of on the Great Barrier Reef has declined by half since 1995. And that's on page 15 if you're looking for that. And to bring it back to a little bit of humorous, you know, because that's what we do, we tessellate. Uh, I, start, I recently started rewatching The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which I have i've seen the episodes but it's been years since i've like but it's on hulu and i was like why not i need something light and fun that you know and so i literally watched the pilot episode today and the the character hillary she was talking about like oh i'm gonna do this like save the environment thing we're gonna get on a big tour bus and we're gonna go around and we're gonna do and then will of course is like don't you think that like driving around on a big tour bus or whatever and then it all ends at a bonfire where you set trees on fire don't you think that's contributing to uh or whatever and of course the character hillary is like the epitome of like american capitalism and consumerism right and if if you get time watch the pilot episode and you'll get the full context or look up the clip but i just was laughing at that because it's almost like the um as we're reading this thing i'm seeing all these different uh, influences around me, whether it's something that I, b- I believe that show started in the late eighties, early nineties. And, but also like in real life, we're seeing like this huge, like wildfire situation happen, which honestly, every year we're getting more and more wildfires, but we forget because we're a goldfish, right? It really gets you because it's like, well, this is something that people knew about. Like if you, enough to make a joke about it on a, a sitcom over what 30 years ago and now we're here and we're seeing the effects so regularly that it's almost like there were wildfires last year there were the year before like it's it's happening more and more frequently but we're seeing the impacts of climate change but we we think so much in the day-to-day here and now that it it just feels like we're always on the reactive we're not actually in the solving things um situation so thought i would throw in those things about the permafrost and the the coral reefs because basically those you know where people say oh climate change isn't real it's like no it is (laughs) here's your proof like wildfires permafrost not permanent the coral reefs like um there was a video greta posted on her twitter there's some shore somewhere. There's just a bunch of dead fish that were just like washed up on shore. I don't know if y'all saw that. It's it's crazy. 
So I want to give y'all a chance. Was there anything like ecological or something going on based on climate change that jumped out at you? I mean, we have fish die-offs all the time um, in um, like communities, like lakefront communities or golf clubs. I mean, it happens all the time. Um, and it has to do with the chemicals that they're using to treat the grass, making sure it's nice and green. It runs off into the lakes or, you know, ponds or whatever, and there's not enough oxygen in the water. Um, it, I think the I don't know, algae or whatever blooms and the fish die. And that's happened, you know, many times. And I think they even put the the water fountains in there to oxygenate the water, knowing that that's part of the problem. Um, but yeah, and it, that that was not. And, and I, I don't know. I'm just my mind's just kind of blown right now with this whole shiz. It made complete sense to me, Becky. So thank you. I think one of those things that really stood out to me and like I never attributed it to like climate change, global warming, all that good stuff was uh probably like two years ago. I had a really bad ear infection I couldn't get rid of and I went through like three series of antibiotics, each stronger than the previous one, and it was just not budging. So at that point I was like, you know what, if I can avoid antibiotics, I'm going to avoid them because I don't want to develop a resistance from it. And if I really need it, it's not going to do anything. So then reading about how it's affected by, you know, climate change. It's like, ah, oh, here we go. So this sucks. And I'm sure there's a whole bunch of other people that are dealing with it with much worse stuff than the ear infection. So I don't know where that will leave us as far as we saw what the pandemic did. Uh, who's to say what's next and how that will be affected? I also wanted to say that, you know, I was not aware that we were doing the creative accounting of you know, carbon output or what, whatever, the CO2 output. I had no idea that these treaties were kind of built around bargaining, you know, well, we consume this, but China, you are producing it. So you get dinged with the carbon, the emissions. Um, I never connected that in, in my mind before. And it's, it just, it's just some shady government shit going on. You know, you know, like like they like they did in Sweden. You know, you know. Th- so so you stop making it at home, but you buy it from somewhere else and let other countries take the hit. Um, but isn't this like going along with our consumerism? This is kind of what we do with it all, right? Like this is our concern with the war on drugs. This is our concern with you look the arms, at factories. Right. But like, oh, we're not going to do it here. We're just going to we're not going to care. We're not going to care about people that are fleeing cartels, but we're going to contribute to the problem and not crack down on offering better medical care to our own that are consuming. So it's all like you were saying, Becky, like an hour ago, it's all that same mindset. And so if we want to turn off the tap, it's the same mindset that drives consumerism, whether it be environmentally damaging, whether it be um, damaging in that healthcare sense, like it's, it comes back to that same thing. Yeah. And I'll be honest with Amazon. I don't want them brought in. I wanted them brought as soon as possible. One little thing I can do is click 
put them in one package and just wait a couple extra days. You know, I mean, that's, <laughs> it just, it just makes me, it's almost comical how absurd it is, how entrenched we are in this just buying, buying, buying stuff. And now it's not just buy it, but just bring it to me. I don't even have to leave my house or go to the store. And I do think that that was exacerbated by COVID a little bit or a lot for people with some anxiety. Um, But yeah, it's just, there's just shady shit going on. And I don't, I don't like knowing all the facts or I don't like not knowing all the facts. And yeah, this, this, this book is good at kind of taking the cover off of it. It's, you know, also, what you said when you tried to correct yourself was also correct. Because you said, I don't like knowing all the facts, but I like knowing all the facts. And I think that is the the experience collectively that we're having is like, the whole reason I chose this book is because there's a concept called eco-anxiety. Like, how could you read this book and not freak the fuck out unless you're a sociopath? And so we want to know, we want to be good people. We want to, you know do the best we can, but also the experience of knowing what the problem is, can we run the risk of being destabilized? And that is the dilemma to try to overcome. However, I will say on a smaller scale, we've made it through two conversations about this stuff and we found some hopeful moments. And so what I want to conclude with, uh, I think Becky, you kind of jumped us into it, but I'll, I'll revisit it in my response. But uh, the question is, how will you embrace inconvenience to help the climate this week? So speaking of Amazon, I, you know, here I go jumping back into the negative, but I placed an order for some things. Uh, I am not renewing my prime after it expires. I paid for it for a year. I think it expires in like July or August or something. Uh, I'm not going to renew it mainly because I'm not a huge consumer. Don't, the main thing I've been using it for is to send these books out to people, honestly. But I, I'm not a huge consumer. My wife, on the other hand, she, boxes will arrive every couple of days because, and here's the thing too. So when you select, I want them all on the same day. Amazon doesn't really give a fuck about packaging it together. Never have I ever said batch everything together and deliver them all on one day and they deliver it in one box. It's always multiple boxes sent whenever, because even though my Amazon day is, for example, Tuesday, I will sometimes get the boxes in one day, even though I said, wait, Um, So it's almost like whatever algorithm they use, it's more so like lip service to say that they're going to cut down on emissions and things like that. It's more so so Amazon has the option of being less inconvenienced if they want. But if it's easier for them to ship it out, they'll just ship it out. Um, I've never ordered multiple items and had them actually come in the same box ever. Um, Maybe that's somebody else's experience, but that's not how it works for me. Um, However, I do try by not getting them one day shipping every single time, especially if it's something that I can wait for. But to answer the question, how will I embrace inconvenience to help the climate this week? I mentioned it in the last episode, but I'm on Thursday um, uh, taking someone to visit family in South Carolina and they live in Richmond. So it's a, I want to say round trip 
to take them there because I go down and then come back the same day. And then in about a week, I'll go back down and come back. When I did it last time at the end of April, um, I think it was a roughly about 2,000 miles of driving. Um, and I took uh, my grandma's car, which is a small you know, internal combustion engine vehicle, very fuel efficient. This time, I'm going to be inconvenienced by taking my EV because no emissions. I'm going to stop at charging stations. but And then, of course, I know that there's emissions because the grid that charges those charging stations is probably fired by, you know, coal energy and whatever, but I'm trying, right? So that's one way. Um, another way is I'm, I've been pretty good at uh, trying to do the Amazon day, even though Amazon doesn't give a fuck about batching things together. At least I'm trying. And I also recycle my boxes, which may or may not go to actually being recycled because we, we talked about that last week. So again, I'm trying based on the information I have, whatever the outcome is, I don't know what to tell you. Um, the other thing is I, my consumption, so going back to reduce and reuse, I'm a little, I guess, I, I don't know what to call it. I like a paper towel in a public restroom. At home, I'll use a towel multiple times to dry my hands. In a public restroom, there's something satisfying about using a paper towel and then opening that handle because men are pigs. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a bathroom and heard someone go to the bathroom and didn't hear a narrow drop of water from the faucet. And then they touch that doorknob and I have to touch that after cleaning my hands with your eco hand dryer. So I always have been a, hey, I'm going to use paper towel because first of all, I don't have to wait to dry my hands under the dryer. And on top of that, I have something to open this disgusting ball sack um, doorknob with. And so I've been trying to use hand dryers more often. And usually they offer hand sanitizer outside of bathrooms for the pigs who don't wash their hands. So I'm going to dry my, wash my hands, dry it with the hand dryer, and then use the san sanitizer when I go out. And that's my way to reduce paper. Also, I went to Panera because, again, Consumer Society, they have this stupid thing called the SIP Club. I'm on a free trial, so I didn't pay my american dollars for this but i get two months of basically whenever i go to panera i can get as much coffee or soda or whatever as i want so i went in there i'm a coffee drinker i chose to get the mug the reusable like uh ceramic mug uh in the panera um and that i sat in the restaurant and uh went over and got a refill when i wanted it while i worked on writing my book which if you're listening to this podcast episode you heard an ad about that earlier on in this episode so go to my buy me a coffee and support me uh writing this book uh shameless plug but anyway i use the reusable mug at panera instead of the paper cup with the paper sleeves and all of that and also when i went to panera that one day too i asked them to put my bear claw on a plate instead of into the paper bag with the tissue paper. So uh, trying the best that I can. Now, um, whether all of that stuff will make a huge impact, that's, that is what it is. But I gave several examples of how I've been thinking about this stuff and trying. I know that there are limitations to it, but I'm really excited to hear y'all uh, answer this question. But I'm going to ask it again because I, I went on for a little bit. How will you embrace inconvenience to help the climate this week? Go. Come on. I, I even, I did the, I did the click the box thing, but those damn boxes, could they be any more ill fitting to the fucking thing you get? Like you get a tube of toothpaste 
or, or, or even a chapstick and a goddamn book comes to your house like there's a grand piano in it. And you shake it and it's like the fucking chapstick. Like Amazon. See, I think you did well. But see, when you said quitting Amazon, I'm like, mm. but then I've got the Walmart. You've got the BJs. You've got the whatever. So I'm, I'm, I'm doing the boxes. At that point, just like I know my job gets on my nerves sometimes. I think those Amazon report employees are just like, fuck Amazon sometimes. That's why we get super huge boxes with basically nothing in it. Because they don't care. They're like, it's not my money. They don't pay me enough. And they do basically slave labor. So I don't blame them. Uh, my takeaway this week will be to try to continue to use less single-use material. Um I have several water bottles. Uh, I need to start taking advantage of them. Even my master's program has gifted me two stainless steel water bottles that just sit here as a decoration. So actually putting those to use finally. I do have a Keurig. I could go back to the old drip monster. But I love my Keurig, man. What I will say is that they make for Keurig, they make the reusable K-cups where you can just scoop. Uh, you gotta wash uh, it out, Jonzo. You gotta wash it. But it's really easy to wash out. Um, now, what is happening when those coffee grounds go down your sink? I don't know. So I said, <laughs> we, we open up one tab of a solution and four more open up of problems and error messages. That is what climate change is. You can burn coffee grounds to keep away mosquitoes and it smells really good. So just start dumping those in a pot. Like the real oh, monster have- ass mosquitoes we have here? Like the ones yeah. that are like... Yeah, my house like- has a bunch of trees and um, some of them need to get removed because they're dead. And uh, dead trees are not only really scary to have around my house, but they are also... Um, wonderful places for bugs to recreate um and so they um I've been burning those when I've been outside and it smells so good so so good and um for the record she's burning the coffee grounds not the trees because burning the trees would reduce carbon into the environment yeah they will have to be cut down I feel sort of bad about it but you know that's one of those trade-offs and I didn't buy a house for it to be destroyed in a storm when a big 30-foot limb came down a couple weeks ago and I could not lift it I was like okay yeah it's time I'm I'm becoming less emotionally invested with this tree um but I really struggle with stuff like that like I like will ride around with like trash in my car because I couldn't find the recycling bin and I get almost like OCD about how much of a little hippie I am Um, It can be very hard for me to let go. Um, But one thing I've gotten out of habit of is like making food at home and even just takeaway boxes, even if it's like not a lot of food, winds up being super um, expensive. What I will say is that my Amazon experiences are better when it comes to the one day, my Amazon day. I do typically get it all in one box. I occasionally get the monster box, but for the most part, it's pretty good. Um, and all packaged together. So I guess my little Amazon worker is a little more um, more pleased with with their their working situation. Um, whoever my Amazon elf, elf is, uh, really like them and the arrangement we've got going. Um, 
So I'm still going to be doing that and I'm still going to be getting my pickup order from Target because right now I just can't do one more thing. I'm pretty overwhelmed in all aspects of my life, but I could try and make a few more things at home. Um, And I think that comes with that idea of grace for myself too. I will get back to the point where I'm cooking every day at home again. I will get back to the point where I can make my list and go into the store again. But right now it's not that time. And I make a better impact on the world when I also take care of myself. Um, And so maybe this week I meet in the middle, but maybe I am in fact doing a little less. I love that message of, I can't make an impact on the world if I don't take care of myself. That was, that gave me a sense of hope. Thank you. You know, something else that gives me a sense of hope too, and we didn't really get into it tonight, um, but I didn't want to derail, but I think maybe it's important to mention academia can be very draining because we are looking at negatives all the time, right? Like, especially my world, why are people sick? Why is the planet sick? Why is this, that? And it can be very depressing. But the thing that I always come back to is that we put a man on the freaking moon. We have a space station in space. We are looking at how to get to Mars. If we are doing all that, then we can find ways to capture CFCs. We can find ways to get some of these things out of the ground. We can do it. And it gets me excited to like go to academic science fairs and to look at things that grad students and even undergrads are doing. I do think it's out there. But to your point, it's not just a matter of mopping up the water on the floor. We also have to turn off the faucet. But I think I think both those things can be done. They are possible. Well, I enjoyed this conversation. I think we left it off in a a good, hopeful place. And it could just be because our brains are tired from thinking. Um, but for next week, thank you all on the podcast. If you're listening to this episode for sticking with us uh, for the third episode, uh, we are going to be discussing pages 200 through 319. So be sure to come back next week for that discussion. I do believe we're going to be moving more into the solutions as we wrap up this book over the next two weeks. So. Um, you're definitely not going to want to miss that. Uh, But until next time, thank you so much for listening and take care.